I didn't know you'd gone charismatic. <laughs> that story will now be noised abroad all over the place for anybody that wants to hear about that. Uh, I like it that Brother Mike has always believed that God is a God of small things. That's a blessing to know that. What a blessing to see the door still open and the church still full. Good to see the new additions and the people that are here. Just a real, real blessing to be here again. And I want to try to help you this week and hopefully, and as always, you always have been a tremendous help to us. Glad to have Drina Lynn with me. That's a real blessing. Uh, doesn't get to go all over the place, but I'm glad that she gets to go here. Take your Bible, if you would, please, and I'm going to give you a very familiar story. As a matter of fact, let's do this. Let's pray, and then let me just kind of see how we're going to do this. You know, normally what we do is we pick a passage, and then we read the passage, and then we pray, and then after we pray, then we start to preach. And uh, sometimes the passages we read are passages that we know, and I believe in repeated those things are important uh, repetition is a great teacher, uh, but sometimes you kind of get set in a rut, and it takes a little bit of time to kind of jar you out of that. So, Brother Joe, you pray. Ask the Lord to help us with the message tonight, would you please? Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, for being good to us, Lord, and being faithful to us and loving us and taking care of us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for preaching tonight, Lord. Thank you, God, for his testimony and, Lord, his faithfulness, and, Lord, the blessing that he has been, uh, Lord, to so many especially in this church here. So I pray that tonight, Lord, that you put your hand on your man. Father, I pray that you'd fill him up to overflowing. Father, I pray that you'd make uh, his mind sharp, Lord. And pray, Lord, that uh, you give us uh, ears that would be quick to hear what it is you want to say to us tonight, Lord. And uh, we ask, Father, that you'd have your will and your way here in this service. Bless your preacher now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Are you in Genesis 37? Take a look, if you will, please. I'm just going to point out a couple of things in the passage and maybe tell you a little story. Now, I'm pretty sure that the majority of you have heard the, uh, the story of Joseph and his coat of many colors. And uh, nowadays, because of the queers and the stuff the way it is, and they try to make this thing into a rainbow coat and all that kind of deal, it's probably made of tweed or whatever it might be, but it wasn't a rainbow. If it was a rainbow, it wouldn't have been the ones that they refer to. You want to be real careful about letting those individuals take away from you something that God put up in the clouds to say, I'm not going to destroy the earth again by a flood. And because they invert the colors and then they try to make chaos out of that thing, they've taken something that God said to you, I promise I'm not going to bring that kind of judgment on you. And then Christians shy away from anything rainbow. We're doing a vacation Bible school this year and we're going to do Noah's flood. And I told the ladies, I said, use the rainbow. You say, why? To teach the little kids that when they're going to school and stuff, what they're being taught at school about the rainbows, not the biblical rainbows. It's one of the most beautiful things you've ever seen. It used to enamor me when I ride by and see the rainbow there. Well, now what they do is they call Joseph's coat a rainbow coat. They're giving you an innuendo that Joseph must have been a little light in the loafers. He's not. He's a type of Christ and about 152 particulars. But let me show you a couple of things about him if I could, please. Notice he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. Good thing for a teenager to be doing at 17 years of age. He's feeding the flock in verse number 2. <coughs> Excuse me. Notice now in verse 3, this is salient. It stands out. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. Here's a question for you, rhetorical in nature. Did Joseph ask his daddy to make him a coat? Did Joseph ask to be loved more than the other children? 
All right, keep that in mind. Come down a little further there. Verse number four. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they what? Hated him, could not speak peaceably unto him. Joseph dreamed a dream. He told it to his brethren. And look at the next four words there. And they what? Hated him yet the more. Now let me ask you a question. Has Joseph asked for the dream that he had? I mean, did he lay down and say, Lord, send me a dream? If he did say, send me a dream, did he ask for the particular dream that made his sheaf, the the top sheaf out there, and all the other sheaves bow down to it? Joseph had nothing to do with that. You can't control your dreams. I don't care what anybody tells you. I mean, I guess if you eat mushrooms or if you take, you know, uh, heroin or cocaine or something, maybe you can assist your dreams. But uh, but those of us don't do those kinds of things. So in this particular passage, you've got to recognize, first of all, Joseph hasn't done anything but be born. He didn't have anything to do with that. Second of all, he's doing what he's supposed to do. He's 17 years of age and he's feeding his dad's flocks. He's supposed to do that. Comes back, gives a report as to what's going on. Dad loves him. Dad gives him a coat. And then all of a sudden, he winds up going to bed, has a dream, sitting there that morning, wakes up, begins to pick through his Cocoa Puffs or his Captain Crunch or whatever it might have been, probably cinnamon rolls and biscuits and those kind of things. I mean, the breakfast of champions. And then he gets ready to lay all that stuff out there and he's kind of picking around in it and his daddy says to him maybe a southern daddy he says to him what's wrong with you boy and he said well you know I, 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 had, I, had, a, I had a dream daddy well what did you dream you know did you dream about you know unicorns and you know uh, cotton candy or what did you dream about I mean a kid your age what are you dreaming about you dreaming about girls you dreaming about going to war what did you dream about no we were out in the field well that's a good place for you to be what were you doing well we were binding up the sheaves and stuff like that and now the brothers are looking around the table at each other as brothers will do and they're starting to roll their eyes like oh boy here we go and then all of a sudden he says, well, there's 11 sheaves that are out there. And then there's this one sheaf over here and uh, all the 11 bowed down to the one. And he said, okay, well, what in the cat here does that mean, Joseph? I mean, that doesn't even make any sense at all. I've never seen a sheaf, an inanimate object, bow down to other objects. He said, well, uh, the interpretation of that is, is that uh, I'm the main sheaf and all y'all are bowing down to me. And the Bible said, and they hated him. Well, he goes on a little bit further and goes to bed and maybe a few nights later, if you read on down in that passage, and the next thing you know, he comes in there and the same scenario repeats itself. And this time his daddy says to him, what'd you dream this time, Joseph? And he says, no, daddy, I, I really don't want to, I paraphrase, I really don't want to say nothing, daddy. I'm just, uh, I, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm good. I'll just keep it to myself. No, 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 let's hear it. Let's go ahead and hear it. Well, see, we were up there and the sun and the moon and the stars were up there and there's 11 stars and there's the sun and there's the moon and there's this one big star, you know, like in an independent Baptist church, so many stars you can't see Jesus kind of thing. And so that star's up there. And uh, let me guess, Joseph, you mean me and your mother? He knows what the interpretation is. And all your brethren are going to bow down to you? And he said, well, well, yes, sir, That's, uh, that was the dream. Yeah, dream on, big boy. <laughs> that ain't happening around this house. And the Bible says they hated him the more. But Joseph, and Jacob said to him, he thought to himself, he said, well, I might better consider this thing. Well, time rocks along there. Now, I'm going to ask you again. It's, again, rhetorical. I've already asked you the question. I've given you five things there for you to consider. Joseph's had two dreams. He's gotten a coat and his daddy loves him more than than, uh, any of the other brethren. And Joseph's only doing what he's been told to do. Find for me in there anywhere that Joseph asked for any of that. 
You ever find yourself as a Christian sometimes, you're on the way to heaven and you're getting ready to try to love the Lord and believe the book and do what you're supposed to do and all you're trying to do is hit the judgment seat of Christ and have a thimble full of stuff that's left over and along the way it just seems to be that if all things work together for good to them that love God, then that are called according to his purpose. Why in a cat here am I going through the mess I'm going through? I mean, it's more than just the thing in Job when Job says, why do the righteous suffer? I know that we talk about all that kind of stuff, but the Bible teaches you that Joseph is now giving you the, prom- the promise, the premises, the, the, the prophecy that he's going to be in charge of resurrecting or keeping safe the nation of Israel. He hasn't asked for any of that. You remember the apostles over there in Matthew chapter number 14 where the Lord told them to get in the boat. You've heard the message before. And they get into the boat and they row out into the sea. The Lord said, get in that boat. Y'all roll over on the other side. I'm going to the mountain apart to pray. And then when you get over there, I'll meet you over there on the other side. And the Bible said when they're in the midst of the sea, there a great wind, a great tempest came about and looked like it was going to sink the boat. And the Bible said, and they were all afraid. Don't you find that odd? Don't you find that strange? Haven't that ever been to you in your life that you come to an altar or you make a commitment at your seat after you get saved? Lord, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to do right. I'm going to act right. I'm going to spit white. I'm going to do everything that I'm supposed to be doing, Lord. I love the Lord. I believe the book. I'm passing out tracts. I'm witnessing. I'm preaching on the street. I'm doing everything you want me to do, Lord. And I'm in the midst of a storm like nothing I've ever been in in my life. I'm doing exactly what you told me to do. And I'm in the storm and the stinking heathens are on the shore and they're doing just fine. And I'm afraid. Now you could do like most Christians would do. They throw the oars in the boat and say, you know, drop the sail down and we'll let the wind blow us. You got to give the disciples credit. At least they continue to row. But have you ever found yourself in that position? Have you ever realized that sometimes that God's taken you somewhere and you don't realize that the path he has you on is not the path you would have chosen? Is anybody with me at all with that? You know, our idea is is that we get to pick the path. God picks the path. You don't get to go through the Bible and say, well, this is what I want to do, and this is what I want to do, and this is what I want to be, and this is what I want to be. You're going to do and be what God wants you to be. The issue is surrender. The issue is, is can I find myself in the traces and and, into the plow harness? Can I lean into the traces and pull where God wants me to pull and do it how God wants me to do it? I remember being in Alabama. My papa used to plow with a mule. The mule died one year right before I got there. I was about 10, I guess. And I remember getting out of that car. My daddy and my papa looking at me, and he kept looking me up and down. He said, I think you'll do just fine. And he took me out into the tool shed, and he made a, a harness in that tool shed. He had a, a, out of a bracing bit, and he took an axe handle and cut it in half. And then he walked out there and he said, get in. He hooked it to the back side of the plow on both sides, big wheel on the plow and big harrow back here. And he stood down on that plow and then he said, now get in. And I leaned up against that axe handle. He said it was child abuse. No, it was good for me. But I became the mule for the summertime, which I'm sure you all don't have a problem understanding that. But at any rate, I remember he'd swap me with that sun hat sometimes and say, boy, my, he used different words for a mule. He says, got more sense than you do. Get off my beans, he'd say, you know. We walked into a place there looking at a farmer's uh, harnesses and stuff like that. And I remember him studying it. He was up in age now. He's up around in his 80s. And he's looking up there in that uh, harness and staring at it for a little bit. I said, Papa, what are you looking at? And he said, uh, I'd like to have that mule right there. And I said, uh, what mule? That's the collar up there. And he goes, yeah, but I can tell you a lot about a mule by the wear marks on the collar. 
I'm a kid. I don't know. I said, I don't understand. He said, you notice that on the right side and on the left side, it's war evenly. He said, you know what that mule did? That mule will lean into that harness and he'll pull and do exactly what he's told to do all day long. He said, you can plow that mule all day long and go back at the end of the day and have plenty of energy. He said, come here, let me show you something. He took me over there and he showed me one that the whole left-hand side had a hole rubbed through the leather. He said, right here is a a mule that won't do what he's told to do. He said, that plowman will be pulling on that right-hand rein all day long because that mule wants to continue to go left. Now, I didn't even realize what he was telling me at the time. But you know what I learned? I learned that what the Lord's looking for is the mule that will lean into the harness that he's put him in and have even wear marks and stop pulling against where the Lord's trying to pull him. You know what happens to us as Christians sometimes? Sometimes we want to go somewhere God doesn't want us to go. I'm not talking to you tonight about sin, smoking and drinking and cussing and chewing and doing all those kind of things and movies and rock and roll and, you know, doing drugs and hanging out at the bad places in town. That's not our problem. Our problem is bitterness and anger and wrath and strife and sedition. Our problem is uh, evil speaking that corrupts good manners. Our problem is gossip and bitterness. And God says, let the stuff go. And he's trying and we're leaning hard on the left-hand side. He said, that mule right there, he said, I could go out in a corral. I could find that mule. He said, I said, why is that, Papa? He said, he'll have the hair wore off that side of his shoulder. And I thought, man, I don't know, as I've gotten older in life, you know what I do? I wish I could be the one that had even wear marks on his shoulder, but I'm afraid I got one that's a little bit more wore out than others. Joseph's supposed to be doing what he's supposed to do, and God gives him the prophecy that he's going to be the big kahuna out there in Egypt somewhere. He doesn't even know what's going to happen, and he's on the way to the palace. Would you agree? Now, you read the end of the story, you know what happens at the end of the story. But look at the pathway to the palace. I mean, as soon as he goes up there, his daddy calls him in one day and his daddy says to him, he says, hey boy, he said, go down there and feed your brothers. Take them some bread and some wine, some cheese and some stuff down there and go down there. They're taking care of the flocks. And Joseph says, okay, daddy, I'll go down there. Now, remember, the Bible's already told you on three different occasions that they hated him and another place they envied him. That's before you get out of the first chapter there. And all of a sudden he goes, go down there and feed him and go down there and take care of him. Which reminds me to say this, you don't get to pick who you're supposed to feed. You don't get to say, well, I don't like them because they don't like me. They still need to be fed. His brothers are going to wind up being in the will of God and going to get Joseph to where he's supposed to go, unbeknownst to them and unbeknownst to Joseph. But boy, it's a mighty strange path to the palace. I mean, that's an odd-looking thing. They see him coming down the road down there, and he's whistling Dixie or something. I got no idea. And he's walking down there, runs into a fellow. They say, well, they heard him talk about being around Dothan. And he said, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. And they get down there, and the Bible said when they saw him coming down the road right there, they said they conspired against him. Let's kill him. And they, let's go find us a wicked and evil pit and throw him into that pit. Could I ask you a question? What had Joseph done other than just tell the dream that God had given him and just be the boy that his daddy loved and wear the coat that his daddy gave him? What had Joseph done? Do you ever feel unfairly persecuted sometimes? Do you ever feel like sometimes people are just picking on you, not because you're ugly or your mama dresses you funny or, you know, or maybe all of a sudden the Coke bottle looks like a mayonnaise jar or nothing like that? It's not always personal. Sometimes it has to do with who it is you're serving and the path that you're on. And sometimes the people despise you because you have the character to follow him instead of following them. 
And the Bible says that they started conspiring against him. And they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to kill him and throw him into a pit. And you know what we'll say? We'll say an evil beast have eaten him up. And Reuben, who's as unstable as water, you can follow this in the passage there, but Reuben comes along and he said, well, let's don't do that. Let's just throw him in a pit. And you know what they do? They strip him down like the day he was born, maybe just a loincloth on him. I don't know for sure. And they throw him into a pit. No bread, no water, nothing to be of any light down there, no medical attention, nothing. Just throw him in a pit. Their idea is to leave him there let him die. They're up there eating the food he just brought them. Hey, preacher, you ever felt like that? You feed the people and you take care of the people and you clothe the people and you give them your heart and you give them your life and you give them your guts, you give them everything you got and then have them throw you in the pit and leave you for dead? You ever done everything you can to try to help people and have them turn on you and their, their appreciation for you bringing them food is put you in a pit, strip you down, talk about your life, talk about your people? You know what the Bible teaches you? That Bible teaches you that they're conspiring against him and that evil communication running among themselves has a collateral damage to it. And because of social media nowadays that I'm going to continue to preach about and continue to talk about because Christian people are continuing to use it and continue in the name of Jesus to talk about other people and cause real hurt and real damage and real problems. But it's, well, we use it for a different kind of a reason. Okay, well, we'll see at the judgment seat how it is. Well, sticks and stones will break my bones. Words will never hurt me. Words hurt more. What goes on in your head hurts a lot more than physical pain. And that stuff lasts forever. By the time you get to the next part of that bottom of that page there, you find out they come up there and talk to Jake and Jake begins to think to himself, he's dead. That man says, I'll go to my grave mourning that boy. The collateral damage of lying and saying things that aren't true and let him believe that and let that old man sit there and worry and be knotted up because he was the one that sent him out there in the first place. He doesn't know the end of the story. It'll be 40 years before he knows the end of the story. 40 years, that's 40 years of waking up and going to bed wondering what happened to my boy. Wonder if I hadn't have sent him out there. Wonder if his brothers hadn't have hated him. Wonder if I shouldn't have given him that coat. Wondering about maybe I should have raised him different or done something different to him. 40 years, words hurt that boy. No, I know you folks wouldn't do that up here. I just That's probably my home folks back home that do that. But that stinking social media has caused you to pry into and be a part of people's business that back in the day, we'd say none ya. And then after that, we'd show you none ya. You wouldn't want to be looking into it because your eyes would be black and swollen up because you're sticking your nose where it couldn't be and it'd be mashed all over your face and say, you know what he meant? He meant don't be putting your nose in my business. But nowadays you think everybody's business is your business. Praise the Lord, we have a meeting here in just a little while. Some of you look like you need a little spiritual X-lax anyway. You need a good cleaning out. You need to loosen up a little bit. You're letting the world creep in on you. You're letting the devil use his tools to get you to work against individuals and talk about, do you see what she had on? Do you see how she was dressed? Do you see how she came in? She looked like a prancing poodle when she came in the church. And I just can't even believe that she did that. And he was there today. Did you see him? Oh, my God, he was there. And it, oh, okay, here we go, man. You burn up your thing. It ain't tongues no longer. It's thumbs. I see these men nowadays. I fly on the plane with them sometimes and they got these little braces on, you know. I said to a fellow one time, I thought it was like a major thing, like he got in war or something, got injured and wounded in war or something. I said, hey man, I appreciate your service. What happened to you? He goes, I lost in my video game. I got carpal tunnel syndrome. 
I said, oh, I didn't mean your imaginary service. I meant like I thought you were really like a war hero, you know. Sat there and he played Candy Crush for two and a half hours. A, a, a grown, anyway. So Joseph comes down there and they throw him in the pit. Now, you know he's on the way to the palace, right? Is that how you draw it up? I mean, if you were going to be Joseph, would you write a story where at 17 years of age you're doing what your daddy tells you to do and you go down there to feed your brothers and you have no ill-gotten motives or anything else and you wind up down there stripped down like the day you were born and you're down in a pit and your brothers are up there laughing and mocking and making fun of you and belittling you and all that kind of stuff? And wouldn't you, wouldn't you tend to, maybe, I, maybe it's just me, but wouldn't you tend to think, now hold on a second here. Lord, didn't you tell me the sheaves were going to be bowing down to me? You know what that Bible says right at the bottom? He said, let's go ahead and put him down there in the pit. Let's kill it. Let's see how his dream comes out then. I mean, they're saying, we'll fix the end of the dream. It ain't going to come out that way. Don't tell me they weren't thinking that. It's in the passage. And you know what he does? He's sitting down there. If it was me, I'd be down at the bottom of the pit. I'd probably be whining. I'd be squalling. I'd be bawling. I don't want to die down there, man. I mean, shoot me. Don't just leave me down there to, to die or something or have some lion jump off in there and eat me or something like that. I, I don't know what he's thinking, but I bet he's thinking, oh, Lord, what'd you give me those dreams for if they weren't going to come true? I mean, am I crazy? Have I lost my mind? I mean, is this what following the Lord means? I mean, if following the Lord Jesus Christ means a pit in your life and you're losing everything you got, even though you're trying to help people, does it make you really want to follow the Lord? Who would have ever thought that a prison wagon would be his escape out of the pit? You say, a prison wagon? Yeah, a bunch of Midianites come by there, and the boys say, you know what, let's make some bucks. It'll be the same difference. We'll still take his coat, and we'll put some goat's blood on it and take it over there to Daddy and those kind of things. But we could go ahead and sell him, sell him for 20 pieces of silver, man. We'll all be fat cats. We'll be rich. We'll have some dough, and we'll be rid of this dreamer, man. We can get rid of him. And so they reach down on there, and they haul him out. But the, notice this, the brethren don't haul him out. The Midianites haul him out. You know what I hate to say to you tonight, this ladies and gentlemen, I know you know this story backwards, forwards, upside down, sideways, like the back of your hand. But you know what's strange? What's strange to me is, is oftentimes the brethren throw somebody in the pit and they're surprised when the world will take something we cast off. They're surprised. It's right in the passage. The Midianites come by there. Looks like they sell them over to the Ishmaelites in a little while here. But you know what happens? They don't go down there and pull him up. The Midianites, they say, hey, you like that boy down there? Good, take him out of here. Isn't it strange how sometimes people wonder why somebody leaves the church and then they wind up going back to the world and they get all tatted up and they get all, you know, shot up and all fixed up and, and uh, next thing you know, they look like the world, they act like the world, they smell like the world, they do like the world. But is it possible that maybe, just maybe, we left them to the world in the first place? Maybe they were quicker to extend a hand to them than we are because we worried we're going to get cooties. I mean, listen, the brethren fall. You've been around long enough. You've known me long enough to know the brethren fall. Some that used to be in this very church. We've been coming up here for years and years and years that used to be here. What happened? They messed up. Everybody messes up. There's those that everybody knows about and there's those nobody knows about. The bottom line is they wind up in the pit and sometimes we are guilty of putting them there as if they've committed some unpardonable sin. I know there's a time and a place for separation. I'm all for separation. But sometimes that separation is just to elevate yourself and not for the benefit of the one you're separating for. Separation in the Bible is to help them to turn to the Lord. That's right. 
But sometimes, you know what the world does? The world will reach down and pick up our cast-offs. I've seen it time and time again. I'm not trying to put you under conviction. I know I'm just preaching to y'all. Y'all already got this down pat. Y'all are full of the Holy Ghost and you're good. Say, Amen, preacher. That's right. I, I mean, the way the church treats people, I mean, I'm with you 100%. I mean, you know, Lord, I, I, I mean, preacher, I, I don't blame you for feeling that way. I mean, that's how the church ought to be. Okay, just make sure nobody is not coming back in here because of your attitude or because you know something about them you've let everybody else know. But we better move on here. The Midianites pull him up there. They put him in a prison wagon. I painted my mind a picture of that thing. He comes up a little scrawny teenage there. His skin color will be different than everybody else around there. He's a Jewish boy and he's got himself around those bars and he's looking through those bars and he's crying, okay guys, it's enough now. Come on now, cut it out, man. This is funny enough, man. I mean, come on, man. You give me a break, man. And he realizes they're serious. They're sitting there, boy, just, just lathered up, man, just slobbering. He sees the money change hand. He knows Knows his goose is cooked. And off he goes into a wagon train. He doesn't know where he's going, doesn't know what country he's going to, got on a loincloth, and he's in there, and the prisoners are kicking him around. Get off of me, get out of my space, man. You're the low man on the totem pole, you're the last one who picked up. And he's sitting there in chains, grabbing hold of those bars, and probably now his tears have dried on his face as the dust comes up off the back end of that prison wagon. And he's thinking, now, Lord, wait a minute. I don't see no sheaves around here, and I don't see no stars. And on he goes down the road. I forgot to tell you, he's on the way to the palace. <laughs> he's going to be the big kahuna. <laughs> but boy, what a way to go. He winds up down there, man. They line him up there in the town square like a piece of cattle. I mean, they bring him out of that thing. And Potiphar, he's the captain of the guard there. He comes out there and he looks at that skinny, scrawny boy. He said, where in the cat herd you pick this boy up from? He said, we got him out of a pit down there. They were getting ready to get rid of him. And we figured he might be good for something. And old Potiphar comes up there and pokes him a little bit and squeezes his arms and checks out his triceps and his biceps and his chest and that kind of deal. Checks how much body fat he's got. Lifts up his lips and looks at his teeth to see whether or not he's a meth head or whatever. And he looks around at him and like a like an animal, like an animal. He's out there in the town square with nothing on but a loincloth. Now, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're stinking Arnold Schwarzenegger. When you're in a situation like that, you ain't enjoying people poking and prodding you and selling you off like an animal, like you don't amount to anything. And he's wound up being just a common slave. This is the guy that's going to deliver the nation of Israel. This is a guy that's in 152 or more particulars is a type of Jesus Christ. And what's the Lord doing? Well, in the next passage, when you get over there, when he's in Potiphar's house, you know what he'll say to him four different times? And the Lord was with him. And the Lord was with him. And the Lord was with him. But you know what the problem was? He never told Joseph that the Lord was with him. You don't tell me. The Lord told me that several times. Brother Joe, you know what he said to me? I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Well, I've been doing this since I was seven years old, 60 some odd years now. I've been doing that. You know what? There's times I'm thinking, oh, Lord, I heard the promise, but it'd be nice to see the person. You never been that way? You never gone through certain things and you're thinking to yourself, Lord, you told me that, you know, all things work together for good. You're going to tell me cancer's working together for good? <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be a sermon illustration. I don't like that. I'm not tough like that. You know, you don't tell me these issues that have occurred here and occurred there, that that's working together for good. Lord, I know that you're with me. I know you're there, but it'd be nice to hear from you every now and then. 
and read your Bible and pray. The ceiling's like brass and the Bible's like stainless steel and you're looking for an answer and looking for an answer and looking for an answer and the Lord's not saying anything and the only verse comes to your mind is, is lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Lord. I appreciate the promise. Could you say the words, please, to me audibly? Could you give me a sign? I mean, I get a little Jewish. I'm part Jewish anyway. I mean, my dad's a Jew. You'll get that in a minute. Not my real dad. That's... Okay, you finally just kind of, oh, okay, well, I didn't, I thought his dad was a Baptist preacher from Alabama. <laughs> but, but you never, we never think of that stuff. You know what happens? That boy goes down there to Potiphar's house and he works out in the field for a while and the Lord begins to bless him and he begins to prosper. And old Potiphar knows a good thing when he sees it. And he said, you know something? He said, come here, man. He said, I'm going to put you in charge of things at my house. And the Bible said, and the Lord prospered him for Joseph's sake. And the Lord prospered him for Joseph's sake. And he comes down through there. And after he's been inside, the wicked woman of the household there, the wicked witch of Endor there living in the household, mixing the stories together for you to make him look at your Bible. Is that in that passage? They're the same woman. It's Jezebel. It's the same, same one. They're all the same. They're all the different ones. And she's in there like that. And she comes up to him and she uh, asks him to have a relationship with her there. And uh, he's pretty smart. He's fixing to lose his second coat. By now he's gotten a coat, and now that coat would delineate him as being the house boy, as being one of Potiphar's boy, and all the other men had gone out. She knows exactly what she's doing. And who would want to turn down the boss's wife? I mean, he's on the way to the palace. I mean, doesn't he deserve some of the pleasures of this world? I mean, come on. I mean, his dreams are dashed and his hopes are gone. I mean, there's no way he's ever going to be whatever the dreams meant. What's the point? Let's just kick the Bible out. Let's just kick the Lord out. Let's just kick the church out. I mean, things aren't going my way. Why not? Everybody else does it. Why not? The world does it. I mean, you know, I mean, a little bit ain't going to hurt. What's the big deal? I mean, don't tell me that temptation's not real. Not real. Why? Not because he's in the perfect will of God, living for God, going to church, reading his Bible, praying, offering sacrifices in the temple. There's nothing at this point in his life that looks like God's in it or on it at all. Have you ever been in a situation like that? I bet you the last time you fell into temptation, you got tempted when you were not, things weren't going the way you thought they ought to go. And you decided you to serve the Lord and you prayed a prayer and asked God to save you. And then after that, you asked God to answer some prayers and you didn't get the answer that you wanted to get. And so you know what you figured? You know what? I'm going back to my old way of doing things. I'm just suggesting to you. One of the greatest times of temptation in your life is when God hands you a road that you don't want to travel. Put you in a harness you don't want to pull. And the next thing you know, I deserve a break. I deserve, I deserve a little break. I just, just a little break. I mean, not that much. Not Joseph. Not Joseph. Uh, you can say what you want to say about him, but at least he had the character to run out of that place. And he went running out of there. And, of course, when old uh, Potiphar comes to the house, man, he pulls up there in his Bentley or Deucing Accord or whatever he's got. And he pulls around. Everybody's just as quiet as a turkey farm in Thanksgiving, as the old preacher used to say. And he's thinking, man, what is going on? And he listens to old Jesse in there. She's hollering and screaming and, and, and bawling and squalling. He's thinking, man, what in the world is she going through menopause? What's the deal, man? <laughs> I don't know. And if your wife hadn't been through that, that, you can look forward to that in the future for you. They can't help it, though, so you've got to have some empathy for them or leave until it gets better, <laughs> which you might be gone a long time. 
But at any rate, he comes in there and uh, she says, you know, she holds up the coat and she says, uh, your houseboy, your main guy here, you know what he did? He messed around with me. And Potiphar, now I'm going to ask you a question. This will be pretty straight up. If you were married and somebody came in and and physically assaulted your wife and you had the power uh, to put that man to death, wouldn't you at least think about it? You ain't much of a man if you wouldn't. Well, I just turn it over to the court system. You've been hanging around the rainbow crowd a little too long. But don't you find it odd that Potiphar hears the story and that kind of a deal and instead of uh, taking his life, he puts him in prison? You know why? I don't think he wanted to sleep on the couch. I think he figured I better do something and I don't want to kill him because I'll be killing an innocent man. So I'll wind up and I'll just go ahead and put him in the prison. Joseph has now been falsely accused in a job he was put into by the man and now put in prison by the very man that bought him and paid for him and now has put him in prison. Uh, By the way, did I need to remind you, he's on the way to the palace. I mean, my goodness, man. This guy doesn't go anywhere except trouble. Every time he turns around, comes back from uh, tending the sheep, and the boys get on to him about his dreams. Goes over there to feed the boys, winds up in a pit. Winds up being sold, winds up Potiphar's house. Now the next thing you know is falsely accused, and he winds up over there in prison. He sits there in prison for a while, and the Lord's with him, the Bible says, and the Lord blesses him, and he continues to start to prosper things. But could I remind you this? There's no record of him saying to Joseph, hey, I'm with you. Now you talk about faith, all you want to talk about faith, and I'm guessing I'm like those fellows in Luke chapter 17 when it talks about forgiving somebody until 70 times 7, and that passage there, he says to him, Lord, increase our faith. I need my faith increased when I get hammered like Joseph when he's telling me I'm on the way to the palace, and all of a sudden, every time I'm dealing a delta hand, it's a bad hand. You never felt that way at all? I mean, every, you wake up every morning and it's just roses and rainbows and boy, lollipops and cotton candy and praise the Lord, glory to God, hallelujah. You remind me of the guy that they kept, he was every time he'd say, well, praise the Lord, well, praise the Lord, you know, and he fell out of a three-story thing. They put a broom handle across his door there and he fell down three flights of stairs and came out and he busted his suit up and had legs, uh, uh, knees torn out of his suit and his legs were bleeding and stuff and the boys leaned down there at him and they said to him, let me hear you say praise the Lord now. And he thought for a minute, he said, well, praise the Lord, that's over with for today. <laughs> I'm not that positive. I mean, I can get in a traffic jam and think, because I tend to think, well, I'm important, you know. I mean, why am I getting jammed up, right? I know you're not that way. I, I, it still bothers me, people driving 35 and a 65 mile zone in the left-hand lane texting. And I know the right-hand lane's open. But there's just something in me that wants to just kind of like go up there and just pit them. That, that's what, just bump them a little bit and, you know, just in the name of Jesus, you know, just, oh, be healed, uh, you know, kind of a thing. I, I mean, I just, there's something that kind of just kind of makes me want to go around them and, you know, wave at them funny in the name of Jesus. I know you would never think that. Or like pull over in front of them and then just hit the brakes. But they're so busy texting, they would run right into you. Right? See, y'all are so good. I mean, I need to just change the sermon. Y'all are like, oh, I'd never do that. I don't have that kind of patience. 
Well, Joseph, you know what winds up happening? He's down there and he's working in the prison. Some of you might know what that's like. Man, that'd be a rough life, especially when you're supposed to be the big dog. Isn't that what the Lord promised him? Didn't he give him a dream? Didn't he tell him all things work together, Joe? Aren't we good, Joe? Taking one for the team, Joe? Boy, this is great, ain't it, Joe? Yeah, uh-huh. Whatever, is you down here in prison for? Oh, you're the one that was with uh, Potiphar's life? Yeah, oh, life, well, yeah, what was that like? I wasn't with her. He's probably gotten more than one goose egg on his head, and somebody sent some people down there to have a blanket party with him a time or two. And he's sitting there at the table one morning there, and they're having breakfast in the, again, and here comes the deal about the dreams. And there's a couple of guys discussing dreams, and Joseph takes his trade. He gets up to go to another table, and I'm going to another pod. And they're like, hey, man, where are you going? I said, nah, them dream stuff, that got me in trouble before. I ain't, I ain't talking to you about no dreams. He said, no, man, come over here. Let me tell you what our dream was. And he said, no, he said, do you know anything about dreams? And the Lord said, don't you know something about dreams, Joseph? He goes, yeah, they get you in trouble every time. I ain't telling you nothing about no dreams. And he said, well, I mean, let us, if we just tell you a dream, he said, all right, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you, a, I'll tell you what the dream means, but here's the deal. If I tell you what the dream means and it comes true, you remember who told you that and put in a good word for me with the big boss, Okay. And, of course, both of them, what do they got to lose? I mean, what difference does it make if they lie? Oh, yeah, sure, man. Yeah, we'll put in a word for you. Butler and the baker, right? Double B's right there. And so the fellow says up there, you said, what is going to happen to you? And he said, oh, well, you're going to be okay, and things are going to be fine. You're going to keep pouring the grape juice for the king there and uh, for Pharaoh. And he said, but as for you, Mr. Dainty Maker and Mr. Uh, you know, bread Maker and, and uh, uh, Biscuit Maker, Chef Maker, all that kind of stuff, pastry cook, uh, he's going to lift your head off your shoulders. You're going to hang from a tree. And he said, man, what in the world did you tell me that for? He said, well, interpretation belonged to the Lord. I'm just telling you what he said, and that's what's going to happen to you. Well, they get out, just like Joseph said, and they get out there after they get out. Uh, sure enough, the baker hangs on the tree, and the butler goes back to pouring the wine for the Pharaoh. And they forgot about Joseph. He was like the roofer that's up on about a 412 pitch and he starts sliding off of about a three-story building and he begins to slide, oh God help, oh God help, oh God help and somebody forgot to drive down a, a roofing nail there and got their britches hung on that nail and then all of a sudden, never mind Lord, the nail caught me. You ever have somebody do that to you? Promise you they'll help you. Promise you that I won't forget you. Promise you. And then it come 3 o'clock one morning, you got a flat tire on the side of the road and you need some help. And you pick up the phone and call them. They say, man, call AAA or call a wrecker. I'm busy. I'm sleeping. By the way, he's on the way to the palace. He's sitting in prison and they've forgotten him. A lot of years have passed now. You know what can happen over a period of time on the Christian walk? You can get to thinking this idea, boy, I got saved. I'm on my way to heaven. I can't wait to get there. In spite of how bad the judgment seat of Christ might be, at least I'll be on the right side of things. And I'm going to tell you, this is a blessing to me. I can't wait to get there. And the, just the drudgery of routine duty, the next thing you know, you know what you do? You get tired of the path. You get worn out. Sometimes you think you're supposed to be superhuman. And not supposed to feel that way sometimes. Just tag it real quick. I hit it here uh, last year, a year before. Uh, you can even get depressed. Was Elijah on the right path? Was he doing what he was supposed to do? 
You know what he said after the big showdown at the OK Corral up there on Mount Carmel? You know what he said? It's enough, Lord, let me die. Worn out with what? Routine duty. The old preacher, you had that picture at his house over on Rawson Lane. This is a lot of years ago. He had that picture there, and I'm standing there and looking at it. He said, what do you see there? And I said, well, that lion there, that'll be the devil, and that snake will be probably a little devil head or something like that. And he goes, no, you missed it. You missed it. Let's go eat. And we come back in there and stand there looking at the picture. And he said, that's the number one killer of Christians right there. I said, yeah, the devil, the devil. He said, no. He said, the biggest thing in that picture right there, he said, it's uh, little compared to, I mean, uh, big compared to the serpent. The serpent, you're right, that's the snake. That line right there, he said, that's routine duty. He said, it kills more Christians than the devil. The same monotonous routine, day in, day out, without any changes, without anything that causes you to celebrate or to have that joy, joy, joy of the Lord down in your heart. And it's just, I got to do it. It's routine duty. Where's the excitement? Where's the big, where's the big shindig? Where's the big deal? A lot of times they'll have a, back in the day, have camp meetings and stuff and try to make it happen, make it happen. You know what? Even charismatics are getting tired of that now. I mean, having a rock and roll show once a month is one thing, but having one two and three times a week, people after a while are like, man, you got to be kidding me. That's not how life is. You ever let the routine duty of the Christian life get to you? You realize that that thing will drive you right out of the church and make you lose your salvation. But boy, it can sure make you bitter. You say, what am I doing? I'm riding a pew right now. I'm going to Bible school. I'm trying to read my Bible. I'm trying to study. I'm trying to memorize verses. I'm trying to learn how to play the piano better or to sing better. But I ain't got the talent they got. I can't ever do anything right. And now my wife left me or my husband left me or my kids have gone prodigal. I've lost my job. I got financial problems. I got this problems. I got that problem. Man, if God's with me, I'm a pastor of a church and half the church just left. Been through all kind of stuff and have been around it long enough. You'd think after a while things would, have, would, would break off. I, you know what? I think I'm done. It's enough. Let me die. You say, why does that happen? Man, imagine Joseph. He doesn't have any hope of getting out. He's got a life sentence, folks. He wasn't getting out. That'd be like going to a Russian gulag. You're going to go there and work till you're dead. He's going to carry you out in a body bag. That's all he had to look forward to. And now all of a sudden he thought, well, maybe somebody will put in a word for me. And the boys keep their mouth shut. And another three years goes by. Three years. Man, can you imagine how it is? Those boys got out and things come down right down to the fare thee well. I mean, to a fine point. Everything comes out like they're thinking, he's thinking, okay, man, maybe there's a chance. Maybe there's a chance, man. This is going to be about somebody. Can you imagine what it's like that a day in and day out goes by and nobody has put in a single word for him at all? Not even a little bit. He just settled back in the traces. Well, okay. And then one day the king has a nightmare. The Pharaoh has a nightmare. And uh, things are going bad. Now you got to remember now, that's a little backstory here. Jake thinks his boy's dead. His brothers have no idea where he is. Nobody's heard from him now. And it's been over 24 years. Wouldn't you think he was gone? You have to look at the chronology there at the top of your middle of your page. You can figure that out while I'm preaching to you, keep you from being bored to death while you try to do the math in your head. Don't pull out your cotton-picking phone and do it on the calculator. <laughs> and the next thing you know, he's sitting there one day, and uh, 
Pharaoh wakes up and has a dream. He calls all the people in there to talk to him. And he says, hey, what does this mean? What does this mean? And they're all guessing and figuring around. They can't figure out what the thing meant. I mean, think about this, man. What a terrible thing. You have fat cows and skinny cows. If they're in a nightmare, that sure is a nightmare. Who dreams about cows? Maybe a cowboy or something, but I can't even, I can't imagine that. And then he turns right around and caps that off with good ears of corn and, and diseased ears of corn. What a dream. And so all of a sudden, uh, old, old wine care there, he uh, winds up the butler. He says, uh, hey, boss, he said, uh, listen, um, uh, we, when we was down there in prison, and, and we should have been. We were in a good place there. You put us in the right place, and we appreciate you putting us down. I learned a lot of things while I was down there. I'm just letting you know you didn't make a bad decision. He said, okay, well, what, what, what do you got to tell me? He said, well, yeah, we were down there. We met a guy down there, and uh, he told us exactly what was going to happen, and it came down to be just like it. He said, you know, the baker, you hung him in a tree, and he said, yeah. He said, well, he said that, and he said, me, you put me back to pouring your wine there, and he said, yeah, and he said, it came down to the fairly well, and he said, uh, well, who is the guy? He said, I don't know. I think his name's like Joe or Joseph or something like that. He said, he talks funny, and he's got a different sort of a skin color to him. He ain't from around here, I can tell you that, but he sure does know about dreams. He said, something about God interprets dreams. I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure about him. He said, well, where did you see him? He said, well, it's been a while. Why are you waiting to tell me now? Well, I don't know, slipped my mind. I'm sorry. I've been busy. You know, I've had a lot of things to do, places to go, people to see. And he said, uh, somebody go down there. He said, Potiphar, go down there. You know this boy? He said, oh, yeah, I know him. He said, is that the boy? Potiphar said, another story, Pharaoh, another story. Just, he said, I can go down there and get him. And they go down and get him. They shave him and clean him up and stuff like that. They bring him up there in front of Pharaoh. He's in the palace now. 27 years after he left. 27 years before the Lord has even got him in a position where he's even looked in the throne room. Boy, you talk about routine duty. Would you have faith at that point to go, oh, this is it. God's going to answer my prayer. If I was Joseph, and I'm, I'm not, but if I was, you know what I'd be thinking? The way my life has gone up to now, I'd think they're bringing me to Pharaoh. He's going to kill me. Must be some special feast like over there with Easter and Herod's going to cut James's head off there. He's going to wait till after Easter and kill Peter. So I'd figure there's going to be some sort of special feast here and then he's going to kill me. So I'm going to be the, you know, the, the roasted lamb or whatever it might be. What would you think? I mean, what do you think when you're going through trouble? Do you ever see the God of your troubles in trouble? Do you ever thank God for your troubles? I mean, we thank God for delivering us. You know, one of the oddest things in Matthew chapter number 14, the first time that those boys and they're younger in the Lord there, when they have a storm there in Matthew or Mark chapter number 4, they're coming out of that storm there and the boat's full of water and all that. The Lord makes the wind cease and the rain stop and the lightning quit flashing and the thunder quit rolling. You remember that story? Do you know in Matthew chapter number 14, he shows up and he doesn't make the storm stop? See, my idea of that things getting better is, is that the Lord comes and stops the storm, but sometimes the miracle's in the storm. He doesn't always stop the storm. Sometimes He walks with you through the storm. 
The way I paint that picture is when Peter sinks and he says, Lord, save me. The Lord picks him up there and they walk through the storm for a while. Leave everybody in the boat wondering and thinking, did they both pass out? There they go. They did drown. Did he take them away? Did they whatever? And he's out there. He's looking at the waves over there. Peter said, what's that? The Lord said, oh, it's a hammerhead. You know, he said, oh man, what in the world, man? What'd you make that for? Because I like him. I don't know what they're doing, but I think they might have walked around for a while. But you see, our idea of a miracle is God stopped the trouble. God stopped the trouble. God stopped the trouble. Stopped the trouble. Stopped the trouble. You ever realize when Jesus Christ went to Calvary, if he'd have stopped the trouble, that you and I'd be up the creek with no means of motivation? He didn't stop the trouble with him. What would you think Joseph would think? Let me, let me put you there, okay, for just a moment. Can I ask you this question? If that was you, what would you think you were going to see the Pharaoh for? Because he's going to give you a pardon? For what? He has no interest in you. You walk up there and he says, uh, Hey, I've been listening to about you. Oh, what have you heard about me, man? I mean, my whole life has been a train wreck. And he said, well, there was an unusual thing about you. There's a couple of boys down there that talked to you and said, you know how to interpret dreams. And Joseph said, oh, man, here we go again with them dreams, man. Man, I mean to tell you what, that's where this all started when I was 17 years old. What do you want to know? He said, what are you making those faces for? He said, I, interpretations belong to the Lord. He said, I don't care who they belong to. I just want to know what they mean. And Joseph said, well, okay, what did you dream? He said, fat cows and skinny cows and good corn and bad corn. And Joseph said, oh, well, he said, you got seven good years coming and seven bad years coming, and you better put up some of the good stuff to be able to have it when the bad stuff comes. And that's the interpretation that the Lord gave me. He looks at all the Chaldeans, all the other people around there, and said, why don't y'all get all that? He must have believed him because you know what he does? He says, I'm going to tell you what, man. Change that boy's robe out, and he takes off his own ring off of his hand and hands it over there to him and says, uh, nobody in the kingdom is going to be greater than you except me. And as a present, I'm going to give you my daughter. I don't know if she is ugly or... <laughs> but, I mean, he doesn't even know the boy, and he gives her away. Does that not make you wonder? I mean, you're thinking... Nobody else wants her, no suitors, no any. Of all the people in the kingdom, in Pharaoh's kingdom, and here comes a little Jew boy up from prison, and you're giving her to me. I, maybe, maybe not so. I don't know. I can't tell you. We'll find out when we get there. But at any rate, he does that. And you know what winds up happening? He says, whatever Joseph tells you to do, I'll go ahead and get it done. Seven more years. Seven more years. Now he's in the palace. Things are going pretty good. He's like, yeah, it's working out pretty good now, man. I got me a wife. <laughs> he that hath a wife hath a good thing. <laughs> and we're starting to put up stuff, and we're buying all the beef cattle up and getting things ready, and we're filling up the silos with corn, man. I mean, we're, we're doing pretty well here. And then all of a sudden, three years into the famine that comes now, 10 years. Now, 10 years. Guess who shows up in Egypt? His brothers. 
and he sees them coming, and I mean, they stand out in the crowd. I mean, they're shepherds, and right off the jump street, they recognize, because Egyptians hate shepherds, and he sees them coming down the road, and he kind of grins and that kind of a thing, and then he watches what they do, and he plays games with them and tricks on them. I got to hurry here, but I don't want to bore you to death, but listen to me. I, I'm just wondering now, if you were Joseph and your brothers had put you through all you went through, what would your attitude towards your brothers be? I mean, don't the brethren put us through something every now and then? And I know the Bible says in Romans 12, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. But isn't the temptation to take matters into our own hands? Well, maybe not y'all. But I have that tendency. I got a chance to get them. I'm sitting across from the preacher one day and I had worked up some stuff on an individual that was saying a bunch of things that were literally criminal and that kind of a deal. And I handed him a big folder with a bunch of stuff that was legally done and worked up and showed him all the stuff there. I was going to show it to him. He looked at the folder. He said, what's that? And I said, well, that guy that's been saying this and this and this and that and that and that and so on and so forth, I got it documented and I've got this and I've got that and I've got that and so on and so forth. And I kind of proudly, I'll be honest, arrogantly, I shoved it across the table. I said, there's everything you need. You can either give it to a lawyer or if you want to, you can file it and they can wind up putting his hind in in jail and uh, shoved it across the table like that. And he took that thing right there and shoved it back across the table. And he said, I ain't got time for that. I said, this guy's running you down. The internet was just getting cranked up in those days. He's running you down here and running you down there and all this other kind of stuff like that. And I looked over at him like, he said, did you hear what I told you? He said, tear it up. I don't want nothing to do with it. I said, preacher, the man lying about you. And he said, if you knew about me what God knew about me, he said, that's a small thing. And you know what he said? I never forgot it. He said, at least when he's talking about me, he ain't talking about somebody else. Amen. Amen. Oh, man. I have to make an altar out of the stinking kitchen table there, you know, and think about that for a while. I've never forgotten that. Joseph's got a chance, and he's got the power to do it. And if it were me, I'd have the bitterness to carry it out. Not you, I understand. Y'all be like, praise the Lord, glory to God, glad my family's back together, family reunion. I mean, man, it's just, it's Mother's Day around here. Boy, we just, we're, we're happy. Happy, happy, happy. Okay, well, I'm a little more human than you are. I'm thinking if those birds showed up and I had the power, I'd say, I want to see every one of you right now and I'd have you cuffed and stuffed and sitting right there in front and say, who's, who's got the big stick now, boys? I know you wouldn't do that. And Joseph watches them. And he plays tricks with him and stuff like that. And he gets tore up one day and he goes back in the back and he takes off his headdress and everything and he's weeping and he's crying back there. And he's thinking, boy, how bad things are. And he loves his brothers. He loves his brothers <laughs> after they have treated him hatefully and spitefully. They tried to kill him. They've lied about him. You're starting to push 30 years now. And then he winds up finally they're there in front of him one day and he comes in and he takes off his Egyptian clothing there and he says, hey boys, how y'all doing? And they go, Joseph? And he said, yep. And they say, uh-oh. <laughs> hey Joseph, you know, we're just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, we might have got a little carried away. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, dad's at home, man. You know, I mean, you gotta, they start pulling the dad card. You know what happens by the time you get to Genesis 50? Let me just put a bowl in this package. He's over there and daddy's getting ready to come in and daddy comes in and tells Pharaoh, few and evil have been the years of my pilgrimage. You know how all that goes. And they come up there and his daddy dies there and they get ready to go. And those boys get among themselves. That'll be in the last few verses of chapter 50. You know what they say? Now that daddy's gone, Joseph's going to kill us. And they begin to get together again and say, man, daddy, daddy's gone. And they come to Joseph and they say to Joseph, hey, now, if daddy was here now, he wouldn't want you to hurt us now. You need to do this for daddy's memory. And Joseph grabs himself and maybe even pauses for a moment or two. You know what he says? He said, y'all meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. All things work together for good but the path to the palace ain't always the way we draw it up now ladies and gentlemen I wish I could tell you otherwise but the reality of the Christian life is is the path to the palace is a rough road to go there's going to be suffering and there's going to be problems and perplexity. There's going to be trouble and trials and tribulations and difficulties and unanswered questions and stabbed in the back and stabbed in the chest and smiled at in your face while they stab you right in the chest. There's going to be unanswered things that you don't have any explanation for whatsoever and children are going to die and kids are going to go prodigals and marriages are going to fall apart and hospital beds are awakeness and morgues and uh, funeral homes are awakeness and that's the path the palace and enjoy the high spots when you got the high spots. You say, well, it's kind of a depressing thing. No, it's a reality check. That's what the world out there without Jesus is trying to escape. The fact of the matter is, is you're sitting here on a Monday night after three services yesterday because you're looking for some answers to those kinds of things. And I'm telling you, the Lord promised to never leave you, never forsake you. And you may not always feel like he's there, but he is not a liar and he is always there. But he's the one that puts you on that path and he'll help you to get through that. But I hate to tell you, it's not always an easy path. But I've learned this on the way to the palace. When you're going through those rough spots, those storms after you're doing what he told you to do, I found that if you tell him, Lord, I don't get this, and I don't understand this, and I'm not even asking you to stop it, but I'm asking you to help me. Because it's hard when you don't understand it. I talked to a boy today, and I can't give you names or anything like that, and he got off the phone, and my wife said, who in the world is that? And I told her I just fellow I know from a particular part in town and he's got a, a kid with a major major problem he loves the Lord he's been trying to do right he's a preacher and his wife left him and she's you know now he's a cult leader and all this other kind just a mess I mean just a huge mess and two days ago he uh, called me and he said uh, preacher that's, that's it I'm done I said well brother I wouldn't quit the ministry he said oh I ain't talking about quitting the ministry <laughs> he said I'm done you say, a preacher? Yeah, a preacher. He said, I'm seeing what it's doing to my family. Uh, I've already lost my wife now. I lost my first wife that passed away. The second one's just a, not working out at all, and so on and so forth. And he said, and I said, well, no, hold on just a minute now. Let's talk for a second. I said, you need to think about the collateral damage. 
Jacob, 40 years nearly, not knowing where his boy was. I said, what are you going to do with your kids? What about all the people you've ministered to over the years? The people you've loved and taken care of, the people that are dead and you've buried and their families, and what about the collateral damage? He said, well, they'll have to work it out on their own. He goes, I can't take no more. I said, i just ask you one question if I could, please. And he said, yes, sir, go ahead. And I said, uh, have you just asked the Lord to help you? He said, yeah, I told him that we need to take it, all, take it away from me and all that. I said, I didn't ask you to take it away. Ask the Lord to help you bear the burden. Here's the verse I gave him. You'll think this is probably strange. I said to him, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I said, if that burden is so great on you right now, it's because you're pulling the plow and not letting him do it. I said, if you'll look at his collar, you know what you'll see? You'll see even wear marks. But if you're going to plow with him, you've got to let him do the pulling. Now, when was the last time you came to a revival meeting or a church service and you said, Lord, I'm, I'm tired, I'm wore out, I'm finished, I'm done, let me out of the plow. When was the last time you said, Lord, help me to shoulder the burden. Help me to be able to lean into the plow. Help me not to quit till I'm done, till you're done with me. Help me to hang in there just a little while longer. Help me to stay with it. He called this afternoon and he said, I'm doing a little bit better. And I said, well, good, man. The sun came up today and he said, yes, sir. And he said, and I'm getting so-and-so done and so-and-so done and getting my daughter into a treatment thing for a particular illness and, and so on and so forth. I said, well, good, you're making some steps. And he said, yeah, but it's easier when you're walking in the same direction he is. I said, well, good, man. Now think about it. Aren't you on the way to the palace? <laughs> I'll give you this illustration and turn it over to the preacher and we'll go to the barn and eat a donut or something. But we had a meeting here several weeks ago and I preached along these lines and added a few different illustrations and things like that. And we got done and a lady called. She had already gone to the house and she was called. We were sitting there having some coffee and stuff there at the end of the service in the fellowship hall, and his phone rang, and he said, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. Oh, no, yes, ma'am. Well, I can I'll run over and meet you in the hospital. I, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. She had gone home and uh, had uh, ruptured something, and she was bleeding inside, hemorrhaging, and that kind of a thing. And uh, he said, well, I'm really, really sorry. Let me get over to the hospital, and I'll meet you over there, and this and that and the other. And she said this. This is what he told me. She said, preacher, didn't you hear the service, the, the preacher tonight? And he said, yes, ma'am. She said, you don't need to worry about me. I'm on the way to the palace. <laughs> and he said, you could hear in the background, yo, 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 yo. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, but that's a pretty positive outlook, isn't it? To realize that even those kinds of things work out. For the good. Heavenly Father, I pray that you might help us tonight as we start this meeting that we're going to have here for a few days gathered apart and Lord I don't have any doubt some of these folks are going through difficulties and troubles and trials and asking for help and don't know where to get it and don't understand why they're going through it probably never will understand Lord maybe they might get something from what was said tonight that might help them to just hold on just a little while longer I hope it won't be long for us Lord before you do come to get us but while we wait help us learn to be patient in trouble and trials and tribulation and help us learn to realize that we're on the way to the palace. We're not always promised a soft path. 
Bless the service, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.